Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Hello, this is Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show to all of you listening around the world. Whether it's morning, afternoon, evening, I really don't know where you are, but we're delighted to have you join us. We're here to have a good time and to talk about how we can do better, be better, have a happier life. We all want that, a happier life. And we really have a great guest for you today. And yes, I know I say that every week, but every week I believe we have the best guest of any show, and today we do. The theme song, as you noticed, was Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy. You might wonder why on earth we have that. And for those of you who are new listeners, we have it because when you're on a self-improvement program, when you're really into it, sometimes you realize that it's okay to set boundaries, and then you learn that it's okay to say no. And no is a very important word in the English language or in any language. Uh, sometimes the people you say no to think you're not so nice anymore that you're refusing their request. That's okay. Uh, as you continue along your path, you'll get so you can say no with, with great ease and some grace, and you get back in their good graces as well. Alice Cooper has just been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so we send him our congratulations. We reiterate our invitation for the show, and I want you to know, those of you who only know him as the mega rock star, that he truly, truly is known as one of the nicest guys in town, and we're honored to have his song as our theme song. We're looking for sponsors who'd like to have exposure on this show and also on the self-improvement blog. If you're interested in that, and we believe in shameless promotion on both the blog and the show, contact Scott Duffy at Voice America or me at the Self-Improvement blog. We'd be glad to get you started. We'd be delighted to have you on board. I want to acknowledge and thank Chad, our engineer, who makes us sound good, sometimes even when we don't. I don't know how he does it, but he must wave his magic wand and always make it come out just really great. Voice America World Talk Radio is the pioneer in Internet talk radio. And if you're interested in having a radio show of your own, why don't you call them first? And I have to say, as I always do, they don't ask me to say this, but I mean it. 
a lot's happening around the world right now. It's time to ponder what your own beliefs are and know where you stand on the issues so you can deal with what comes on, what comes down the pike. We send our hearts, our love, our support to the people in Japan and to those who are in war-ravaged countries. Um, sometimes we could, we'd love to send more, but what we can send right now is our, our good wishes, our prayers, our energy. And we, we just say, hang in there, know that you're loved, know that you're thought of. Next week's guest is Tina Games, who's a creativity and life purpose coach, a mother of two and author of the book Journaling by the Moonlight, A Mother's Path to Self-Discovery. We'll address the question with her, I'm a mother, but who am I really? Interesting lady, this is a pre-record, so I already know what the show is, and let me tell you, I think you'll like it. Today we are truly honored to have our guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstedt. She's a, a practicing physician, very busy physician, who has taken out her lunchtime. Eleanor, I hope you get some lunch along the way Thank to you. be with us. She's a sleep specialist, a graduate of Stanford University, the University of Texas uh, College of Medicine. She did her internship and residency at the University of Rochester in New York, and completed her fellowship here in Phoenix at the County Hospital, which is a very, very busy hospital. She's board certified in internal medicine with a specialty in pulmonary disease and critical care medicine. And she's a sleep specialist as well. I met her because I wasn't getting my Z's and she's helped me. She has a practice in Scottsdale, Arizona. And let me tell you, she's one of those rare physicians who actually sits down and listens to what her patients have to say. So we're going to be talking about how we can get enough C's. It's a big problem. Um, there are millions probably of people every night who are doing everything they can, doing that tossing and turning thing, trying to get some sleep. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Eleanor, it's okay if I call you Eleanor? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Most of my, Tell most us of my patients do because they can't say my last name. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I kind of wonder if I'm doing it right, but uh, so you do just we'll call you, Alan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what motivated you to become a doctor in the first place and a little bit about what medical school was like for you. That's always an interesting story, especially for women uh, yeah. who have come through the system. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, you know, actually both my parents were in academic medicine. They both taught in medical school. And yeah. so medicine came relatively naturally. Uh, it seemed like uh, um, just a great way to spend a life solving puzzles, which I find fun um, to do. And, and they, um, um, uh, their basic idea was, well, it's no good doing it if you don't really love it. Um, and so there, there wasn't really any pressure. I didn't even have to rebel as an adolescent, particularly. They didn't pressure you to be sure because if they were doctors, you didn't have to be or any of those things? Uh, no, they just, uh, like they, they, they and I, I uh, say the same to people who ask me. It's a wonderful, wonderful field if you really love what you're doing. But if you don't love it, it's, it's um, misery. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, because it's pretty demanding, but um, it ended up that I do really like just solving people's puzzles. Um, I kind of like being um, on their soap operas. 
uh, on the stage there for a little while for them. Um, and uh, I don't always know what my part's supposed to be, but I uh, play as best I can. And, and it just um, gives me, uh, it's a way of living that, that I find really interesting um, and a lot of fun. So, in medical school, actually, I, you know, was in medical school in the in the 70s and early 80s, and there, um, we had, uh, when actually my class was 50% women, so I oh, was, yeah, I was quite uh, protected, really. Um, I know um, what others had run into, I was quite protected, I was quite shocked when I discovered the real world, Um and then I had to do things like keeping my voice lower and or, uh, lower pitched uh, rather than using my natural tones in order to be respected. And, you know, very um, uh, the little games that we play as professional women in order to be to be respected by our peers. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel fairly comfortable now um, and uh, do feel that the environment overall has changed significantly during the time that I've been in medicine and that one would expect that if if fifty percent of your medical school graduates are coming out are women, then then they the other guys have to adjust their thinking. They do, but they still have some adjustments to make. Yes, for the first don't. time in my life, I have three physicians. You're one of three, and they're all women. And mm-hmm. for the first time, I'm I'm listened to. I'm asked questions, and I've been given time to answer them. And I feel like I've been heard. And often, and I'm not saying this is true of all men who are physicians, but um, I ha- that hasn't always been so. And it's so wonderful and so refreshing and so reassuring to the patient to know that you've actually listened and you, you give good feedback so I know you've heard me. And it, it's a first, and I'm not going to say how old I am, but you know I'm... <laughs> not quite real young and it's it's lovely now you're board certified in internal medicine with a specialty specialty in pulmonary disease and critical care medicine and you're a sleep specialist as well tell us a little bit about your practice the kind of people in general that you see and how you became involved with helping people with their sleep disorders well that's a big question The, um, you know, inter- you have to do internal medicine in order to become a cardiologist, pulmonologist, or a gastroenterologist. Okay. Uh, so that's what you break, the, the path breaks off after medical school. You either go to a surgical residency or an internal medicine, and then after internal medicine, you do a fellowship. I entered, uh, I was, I chose pulmonary medicine because in actual fact, it gave me a wide variety of practice options because at the time, pulmonary medicine was the main we were the main doctors in the critical care unit, and since then the critical care doctors have split off into their own subspecialty. Uh, but I went ahead and, and board certified when they did that, so I got the board certification in that. The uh, and of course in the pulmonary, uh, and then the uh, and pulmonary medicine was also where much of the sleep medicine was when I was training, uh, most of it in fact. Um, and so when the sleep specialists uh, split off into their own little group, I went ahead and board certified in that as well. And, um, I, I didn't know we had specialties in sleep medicine. It's, a, it's relatively new. It's relatively new. I think the board certification through the Internal Medicine Board has been uh, only about six years now. So, um, but it, it was prior to this. Uh, it was part of pulmonary medicine, and you will find a lot of pulmonologists who have that board certification now. Um, and I um, happened to be in medical school in a school that was doing research on sleep apnex right at the very start. Um, that was back before we even had these um, 
these oxygen sensors that you can just put a clip on your finger and tell oxygen. So in order to tell what oxygen level people had, we had to actually get blood from them, which was interesting to do when they were asleep. Um, oh, and, yes. But, but uh, so it was right at the beginning of the field, and um, obviously a frontier in medicine. Um, uh, all of a sudden it was becoming becoming apparent that there were eight to ten hours of people's lives where we didn't understand what was happening at all. Um, you know, that, that it wasn't like parking a car in a garage when you went to bed. It was, there was something happening in the brain then. And we still don't, you know, we have a lot of descriptions now, but we still don't have a good overarching understanding of exactly what is happening, why the brain is doing what it's doing in sleep. So at any rate, it was a frontier. Um, and the other thing about it is it is fun because people, um, people feel better. Um, if I tell somebody they got high blood pressure or diabetes and they have to do all these things, they don't walk out of my office feeling better. <laughs> if I no. tell someone they have sleep apnea, give them a night's sleep, they walk out of my house, uh, out of my uh, office, feeling like a million dollars. Um, they really do feel better, and it's just uh, such a blast to see them to see them actually, you know, get some value from what I do. Oh, there's great value because you feel so different when you begin sleeping at night, and you don't know that you're not sleeping at night. So it's a surprise to know that all you need to do is get a good night's sleep, and you'll feel tons better. You don't have to take a bunch of pills or have some sleep. Yeah, Uh and that's that's such a revelation to people and and so freeing. The other thing that's so freeing is, uh, you know, so many people... Um, uh, take, oh, if you will, hits to their self-esteem because they don't have energy. You're, in this world, you're supposed to be energetic and, in, and, a, and everything. And they don't understand why they don't have the energy because they don't know what's happening in their sleep. They wonder if they're just lazy people. And that's a horrible thing to think about yourself. And then to, be, to discover that, no, what's been going on has been they haven't been getting sleep and they can feel good and they can be energetic and join in their family life and stuff. It's, uh, the, you know, it's really fun to watch people kind of reassess themselves and, and become a little more forgiving of themselves. Oh, that's good. Now, I found the statistic that there are about 10 million people who are undiagnosed uh, that probably 18 million people suffer from sleep apnea and 10 million haven't even been di- diagnosed yet. Is that a realistic figure? I, I truly, I think it is, yes. And, um, you know, one of the things I think we're finding uh, is uh, whenever you've got a new disease, you have to kind of um, define where the disease starts and where it ends. And, and uh, we've been reassessing sleep apnea throughout um, so it used to be, when I first got in the field, that you had to have about 15 times an hour that your breathing stopped for you to be considered a sleep apneic or abnormal. Um, and then it was 10, and now it's 5. Um, but we it's, have data that even if it's 2 times an hour, then there's an adverse consequence to you know, cardiovascular health, increased risk of, of hypertension and, and uh, heart attacks. So we really are... Defining breathing one yeah, time a night long. would be yeah. enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, and, that's and, and so it's very hard because you're because uh, the definition is kind of a moving target. It's very hard to get a good fix on on um, on how many there are. But I think that we really do have a large number of people with sleep apnea. I think partly people didn't used to live long enough to get it. Because it is something that, although it can happen, and we think you're born with a tendency, we think it comes out over time, and uh, as more time passes, more people get it. 
Um, and so there are some people who have it even in high school. It's clear they're profoundly um, ill with it. Um, and then there are people who, you know, hit menopause and seem to run into problems. And then we have another group that seem to develop problems uh, in their 80s. And um, we're still, uh, you know, trying to uh, get a fix on what our target is here, but I think there's a lot of them out there. Well, there's, it certainly is something that seems to be growing, or at least a, is it awareness of it growing, or is the problem being, you know, accelerated? I think it's both. Um, the, it is, I mean, when I entered the field for many people and oftentimes for insurance companies, it was kind of a joke. Um, and uh, because the, it just seemed funny that anything could go wrong with sleep, um, and uh, um, or insurance, and there were insurance companies who said that the only treatment they would pay for, um, well, that they wouldn't pay for treatment. You had to lose weight. Well, we now know that well, the sleep apnea causes the weight gain rather than vice versa. So they were kind of off there. So um, it is awareness. Um, but the other thing is, as I said, our population is aging. It's getting fatter. Um, and uh, we, uh, I think what we're seeing also is that sleep apnea that would have been latent or the person would have died before we found it. Now they're surviving till we find it, and um, it's coming in the, the, that it's um, also coming out a little bit more, a little bit earlier with the extra weight on people. Ah. Eleanor, it's time for us to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about um, how much sleep people really need. So now, this is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. <laughs> Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Sue McDaniel's book, I Am Heart, she talks about feelings. Now Sue is ready to bring her book, blogs, and topics of interest to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. I Am Heart will discuss concepts and ideas that affect all of us and will provide experts and solutions to help everyone. Sue, speaking through I Am Heart, will answer your questions, share your answers, and learn together with you. Each program will have topics you've suggested, homework to learn about yourself, and moments of connection. Tune in to I Am Heart, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on World Talk Radio Variety. Sometimes it seems that life is just throwing you one obstacle after another. There are many people who have overcome or are overcoming their personal obstacles in order to succeed. Hear them talk about these barriers and how they overcame them on American Dreams, The Sky is the Limit, featuring host Jen Robertson. Jen herself overcame life struggles to become one of the most in-demand motivational speakers in the world today, as well as a best-selling author. Tune in to American Dreams, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstead. We were talking about sleep apnea. And before we talk about how much sleep we need, I really would like to ask her to expound on the fact that we gain weight because we're not sleeping. We don't get sleep apnea because we're, we're overweight. Tell us a little bit more about that, Eleanor. I think that's just a fascinating um, departure from what we've always believed. Well, it is, and it's uh, just a lesson in, in um, paying attention to the science and to the patient. Um, you know, when we first identified sleep apnea, they were almost uniformly way overweight. There was always a 10% group that were normal body weight, but everybody else, you know, they were huge. Um, and uh, so we thought, well, obviously, sleep apnea uh, or weight gain causes sleep apnea. It made perfect sense to us. You get fat around the airway, all of a sudden the airway is smaller, but... Uh, it was clear from listening to them that they didn't, they got sleepy good 10 years before they gained their weight in their life histories. And then the, um, and then we started to look into it a little bit more. And, um, as we've become better at diagnosing sleep apnea, we're seeing more and more normal body weight, uh, sleep apnics. And, um, what appears happens is that the sleep apnea causes weight gain through a number of mechanisms. And then that weight gain makes the sleep apnea worse, which causes more weight gain, which, and so it's a vicious cycle. Oh, yeah. It's one you can't, it's like a merry-go-round you can't it's, get off of. Yeah, it's pretty hard. So the thing, the first uh, things to think of are when you're exhausted, you can't get out and exercise, and in fact, you try not to do things. Um, and so there's reduced exor- energy expenditure. The other thing is that many people, including many medical residents, discover that if you graze, you can stay awake better. And so um, uh, many sleep apnics uh, are actually kind of grazers. They go through their life treating their sleepiness with food because that those instances where you are where you're chewing and swallowing, you're actually more alert. And that there's a brain reflex that does that. Um, and then, of course, um, the, then we finally got into some of the hormonal changes that occur. And in sleep deprivation, uh, you are become um, more se- uh, less sensitive to leptin, uh, which uh, turns off your appetite, more sensitive to ghrelin, which sort of makes you hungry. Um, and then there's also less sensitivity to insulin, so you handle the calories that you get differently. So you put it all together, uh, less energy expenditure, a little more energy going in in our calories, and then a change in how your body uses the calories and end up with people who kind of relentlessly gain weight if we don't fix the sleep deprivation. It actually looks like a lot of the sleep, a lot of those changes occur with any form of sleep deprivation, not just sleep deprivation from, uh, from sleep apnea. So um, that it's an object lesson for people who really don't want to be the weight that they are, that uh, they need to make sure that they are getting good sleep because um, that will help them. It's interesting that with all the, the talk we have on the news about the obesity in America and how fat people are getting, that nobody said, hey, 
if you're not sleeping at night, this could be causing some of your overweight. They just talk about how these people overeat and eat fast food. You know, is there any way we can get the word out to people that maybe they better need to go see a sleep specialist <laughs> and get, get this taken care of? Well, you know, I do think that, that um, the, the press is paying attention to the sleep field now. Um, and uh, uh, I think we're a mature enough field now to have some answers for them, uh, including what I've just been talking about. And so it makes it a little bit easier than to go to when somebody comes to us with a question to be able to answer that question. And I think the press is doing a respectable job at getting information about sleep out there. Um, you, um, it would be wonderful to have everything we know instantly broadcast, except that... Um, uh, a lot of what we think we know isn't right. Like originally we thought we knew that fat caused sleep apnea, but now we know sleep apnea comes first and then causes the weight gain, which makes the sleep apnea worse, etc. So um, uh, sometimes a little bit of caution in, in trumpeting medical discoveries is warranted or medical theories because sometimes uh, we just don't have it right the first time around. But it's an interesting, interesting thing that people should at least have some awareness of that it's a possibility. Exactly. And it, I think everyone should know that sleep is important. It's, the, it's there for a reason. We may not know exactly the reason, but we need to respect our sleep needs. Okay, that brings us right to the question, how much sleep does an average person need, really need at night? Well... That also is an area of some argument. Uh, it turns out that if you look at data from before electric lights, uh, apparently there's a, um, a census thing from 1910 or a, a population study. Back then, it looked like the average sleep time was closer to nine hours than eight. So right off the bat, our first thing about, well, you need at least eight hours may not be enough. It may be nine. The other part of this is that people vary tremendously, and there clearly are people who are normal three-hour sleepers. Uh, the creator of the artificial heart, for instance, is one of them. Just normally only needs that much sleep, the, um, and brain works just fine with just that much sleep, and he doesn't need any more. He can't get any more, uh, even if he wants to. There are other people who clearly are normal 12, even 14-hour sleepers. There appears to be absolutely nothing wrong with their sleep or with them, it's simply that they need that much sleep. So there is a wide individual variability. Um, but we right now, um, and so we right now kind of define how much sleep a person needs by how their body, what their body's telling us. If you go to sleep pretty promptly when you go to bed and when, you, when it's time to be up, you wake up kind of spontaneously without a lot of use of the alarm, you probably are getting enough sleep. Ah, so those are really simple little guidelines. Yeah. We can all handle that. So <laughs> what, what do you consider then sleep deprivation? How long do you have to be awake or how many times you have to wake up before you can consider yourself sleep deprived? Um, the, um, uh, I would define <laughs> sleep, actually I would define sleep deprivation, deprivation much more operationally. Like, uh, you know, if you're tired during the day and if you sit down at some quiet activity and you fall, are, are able to fall asleep, if it seems like those times in the day, like mid-morning and late afternoon, that everyone kind of slows down, if it seems like you get sleepy during those times, you may well be sleep-deprived. The um, It is, uh, you know, it's interesting. When we look at normal sleep, um, people have, it looks like maybe about 40 arousals a night. Now, by our definition, is an EEG change that looks kind of awake that lasts at least three seconds, but it's less than 10 seconds. 
uh, I'm sorry, less than 15 seconds. And then an awakening is more than 15 seconds. So they'll have uh, a normal sleeper will have about 40 arousals and, and maybe two to five uh, awakenings per night or per hour. So there's a lot of sleep disruption that occurs. It's a problem if you remember it um, because that means you're being awake or aroused for too long, um, and it's a problem if you're tired from it the next day. Um, I kind so of it's think really not a matter of how uh, of the amount of time, but what it's doing to you. Yes, exactly. And part of that's because we don't know exactly, we can't really say what an individual person needs in terms of sleep, um, and therefore um, can't say, well, you're lacking uh, as an individual. We can say it population statistics suggest that possibly it's eight or nine hours on the, for the population. But the other part of it is that we naturally have a lot of arousals. And I like to think of it kind of as a, uh, you know, if we were a tribe out in the wilderness, uh, we would need somebody awake at night uh, to watch to make sure the wolves didn't come. And if you had every member of your tribe arousing 40 times a night, you'd probably have one person awake when the wolf did show up at the fire circle. Right. You know? If they so can get focused enough to know the wolf is there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, it pro- there probably is a good reason, there was a good reason at some point for us to have these arousals. It's clear that they don't bother um, people except, they're in, except when they're long enough to, for the person to remember them. They really are awakenings that, uh, and... Um, and can be a problem, but the main thing is, if you're tired the next day, then we probably didn't. You probably didn't get effective sleep the night before. Okay, and I mean sleepy, not tired. I should be right. more precise. Yeah. So, what are the effects then of extended sleep deprivation? If a little bit now and then doesn't really hurt you, what about extended periods of sleep deprivation? What effect does that have on the body? Well, they look at um, they look at two different kinds of extended sleep deprivation. One is no sleep for, you know, 48, 60, 96, that many hours, and going on from there. And um, that uh, what you develop mostly uh, aside from poor judgment and slow reaction times, uh, and then the uh, and then you get um, uh, uh, irresistible sleep. You just can't stay awake. And uh, the only people that seem to run into trouble with that sort of thing are people who have a pre-existing brain disorder like bipolar mood disorder. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that can trigger a manic episode, apparently. Uh, it seems to be what the research is showing now. Um, and um, so, the, uh, um, so if there's no pre-existing brain disorder, we don't anticipate any major um, problems from that. Um, the... Um, um, and then there's the group, the more, much more common, of losing two to four hours for night after night after night after night. You know, somebody whose life only allows them to sleep six hours, that sort of thing. And it's interesting, they, people lose the ability to tell that they're sleep-deprived uh, in that setting. You're much more accurate in, in determining your level of sleepiness if it's, an, it's, it's a recent change. But if you go on and on and on with just a little bit too little sleep, the, there are changes in judgment and reaction time that are measurable and are severe, but are not uh, not recognized by the person. So it's like have, uh, on the road, like having a drunk driver who has no idea that he's intoxicated. Um, and uh, oh. I think that's our big public health problem right now in terms of sleep. Um, is we as uh, it's since your own body's not telling you how sleep deprived you are, um, and um, in this chronic sleep deprivation sort of thing, and yet 
your brain nevertheless is not functioning um, well, then it's very hard um, for people to take to to take safe safety precautions. I guess I should call them uh, like you know there. drive only when they're wide awake and not try to drive late at night and. Um, <clears throat> Make sure that they drive in brief spurts and not long, and you know, take breaks and stuff like that. Speaking so. of breaks, it's time for us to take another one. This is Irene Conlon for the Self Improvement Show with my guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstedt, talking about sleep and sleep deprivation. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned to Voice America World Talk Radio. <laughs> Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. To succeed in life today, you have to respond well to change and be willing to take chances. On Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan and her sidekick, daughter Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations with live interviews with trailblazers, authors, and experts. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on the Power Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Variety. For positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio, it's Star Style. Be the star you are. If you are looking to get started or are currently operating a home-based business, you might be looking for answers. What are the risks? What business should I get started in? How will I market my business? How do I balance my professional life with my other life? For answers, you need to tune into The Home-Based Business Show with Helene Leontos. Each week, we'll bring you a step-by-step practical guide to starting and maintaining your home-based business. Listen every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the Self Improvement Blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstead. And we're talking about sleep deprivation. We just talked about how people don't always realize how tired they are because they haven't been getting enough sleep. So let's talk about that a little bit. A lot of people have sleepless nights. We, we all do now and then, especially if the news has been awful on the 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock news. How do you make a diagnosis of insomnia? Well... Um, if I'm, 
you know, if you don't sleep when you want to sleep, then you've got insomnia. But if, you, if I'm going to talk about disorders of insomnia that I want, that are tr- something that need treating or, or can consider treatment for, then what I'm looking for is uh, how does it impact you during the day. Um, if you uh, don't have to get up and go to work, uh, but you didn't sleep the night before, um, then it may not be as big an issue as, for instance, somebody who has to fly to Europe and then be functional in a business meeting um, and um, and who, whose insomnia then is a significant problem for them in terms of their profession. So uh, we look uh, very closely at how it impacts the person during the day. Um, and uh, then the other thing we're look, uh, that really sort of separates out how we approach this is, is whether it's a, a chronic persistent problem or is this just an acute problem that's associated with specific circumstances. That latter one is um, easily treated with medicines usually, a few other simple maneuvers, um, and uh, the um, and tends to be fairly straightforward. The more chronic problems tend to be um, a little bit more fun, a little bit more complicated, um, and uh, also seem to take a little more effort on the part of the patient to get better with. So you're talking about sleep disorders. Yeah. Now, the one we hear the most about is sleep apnea, but there are more sleep disorders than that, aren't there? I Yes. There are what there's. Uh, I guess the the classification from the Sleep Society has a list of 84 disorders on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but they, you know, uh, we kind of break them down into two: DIMS and DOES. DIMS are disorders of initiation and maintenance of sleep, and the and DOES are disorders of excessive somnolence. And they do cross over a little bit, but nevertheless, it's a nice division. Either people can't sleep or they're sleeping too much, um, and, and that makes it very manageable in our mind. Ah, uh, can we talk a little bit about sleep apnea and 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 uh, I mean, because this is the disorder we probably hear the most about, and probably is this the one that you spend the most time treating or has the most obvious treatment or you know. Am I totally off base here? No, you're right. This is the one that's pretty much defined the field of sleep medicine, and um, then we picked up the other stuff because we were the only ones interested enough to do it. But the uh, the sleep apnea is really uh, where the field got started, um, and it's our bread and butter. Um, it's uh, and it is. Um, we think people are born with a tendency. It does seem to run in fam- families, and then the so tendency- it is. There's no specific cause. It's a genetic kind of thing. Yeah, uh, it has to do with. Uh, we know it has to do partly with the shape of the back of your throat. There's. Uh, we also think there are a group where it's, it has to do with the wiring in their brain. Um, and again, you know, we don't give our brain sufficient um, credit, but during, during breathing, when you breathe in, you have to coordinate tensing the muscles around the upper airway to hold it open. You're breathing in by sucking air, and you could easily just suck everything closed. Well, you, instead, your brain is coordinating not only opening up your chest to breathe in and suck air, but also opening up the upper airway by tensing those muscles. If that wiring gets um, crossed uh, in sleep, uh, or just isn't effective in sleep, um, then you have people who do not open up their upper airway when they are breathing in in sleep, and they uh, they seem to have sleep apnea. So that's one group, and then another group is a group that they um, they their muscles are trying to hold the airway open, but it's so small to begin with that just the relaxation that comes with sleep allows it to to collapse and close off. 
So uh, the, oh. for the obstructive sleep apnea, we think it probably breaks into two groups. But uh, which, however it works out, the, we think of it primarily as genetically determined. Um, it's uh, you ha- are born with a tendency, and then and there's an environmental component. It comes out under um, earlier if you're heavier. Um, uh, earlier, if you're taking uh, things that that relax muscles like narcotics or um, you know uh, true muscle relaxants, other things like that, um, alcohol, um, and that it's um, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know that those are terribly manageable. People generally don't use those things um, except the alcohol fun all that frequently they mostly are using them because they need them well then they need to have their airway kept open yeah so this is where the sleep study comes in does our sleep studies done primarily for people with sleep apnea or are they used for other sleep disorders as well they are used for a wide variety of sleep disorders, um, generally not insomnia as the first uh, rule, but and they um, and the vast majority of people getting sleep studies are getting them for sleep apnea. They um, the and in actual fact they although they it's kind of like doing a CT scan of the chest uh, because we didn't ever have any chest X-ray to do, and so it's very extensive monitoring during a sleep study, and it would allow us to find seizures and um, a variety of other things that are happening in sleep. But the vast majority, all we're really looking at is the breathing and and, uh, and um, quality of the sleep. We can do a large part of that now at home with home sleep monitoring, and that, I think, is going to open up diagnosis to a wide variety mm. of people who really couldn't do it before. You know, uh, there's uh, a lot of older people that are confused when they're out of their familiar environment at night, and this way we can do it in a familiar environment at night. Uh, people who are um, handicapped and, uh, and need assistance during the night, uh, the sleep labs aren't really set up for that, and they can use their usual home pr- um, mechanisms for that kind of support and still get their sleep study. So I think the home sleep study is going to open this uh, field up a little bit uh, so that we can get people diagnosed um, more effectively for the sleep apnea. We will always need sleep studies for some of the more complex disorders like seizures and and, um, some of the, uh, we call them parasomnias, where people are doing things in sleep that are not normal to sleep. Like sleepwalking and sleep... Like sleepwalking and sleep talking. Yeah. Talking could get dangerous. (laughs) So good walking. (laughs) If you're married and you're talking about somebody else, you're in trouble. Yeah. That does seem most of the sleep talking is pretty in, unintelligible. Uh, the sleepwalking can be a real problem because people walk through windows or grab their car keys and go down and start the car. And, you know, oh. it's uh, uh, so uh, it depends how complex they're, they're, uh, it is, what, how aggressive we are about addressing it. And an awful lot of our attention in sleepwalking is actually just making sure that people will be safe if they do take a walk in their sleep. That I, I can, I've never had any experience with a sleepwalker or sleepwalking, but I can see the tremendous danger of it. Do people, uh, to me, the sleep study is very interesting because you go to a strange place, sleep in a strange bed, you're hooked up to hundreds of wires, uh, and it's cold in there, and you're <laughs> supposed to have a normal night's sleep. So, you know, how, how accurate is this, you know, I, I know I had a couple in the last one, I couldn't sleep because I was so uncomfortable. 
Yeah, well, they're not supposed to let you be uncomfortable, and certainly not cold. Um, the uh, the uh, they do keep it a little bit cooler than normal because people tend to sleep better at a lower temperature. That tend, tends to bring make sleep occur as your temp- body temperature mm. comes down. But it's not supposed to go so low that you're shivering because then you're not going to sleep. But the uh, I think the bottom line is that um, we you do a lot of sleep studies in supposedly normal people. Um, and try to figure out how a normal person responds to the lab situation, and then you're comparing um, your patients to how the normal people respond to the laboratory situation. So I don't think anybody says that um, that what we're capturing is exactly what the way people sleep at home. In fact, many of us find that we're adjusting CPAP pressures and other things once people are home because they sleep differently at home. But what we're capturing is how do they differ from... Uh, people we believe to have normal sleep. They have also had people sleep with sleep studies uh, night after night after night after night and watched how the sleep changed overnight um, and developed a series of, um, you know, just uh, that's part of the research that was done on sleep studies um, was and to, to see how the first night was different from a night when that person was really accustomed to the equipment and stuff. Um, and there are some differences. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, but they end up being pretty insignificant um, if you're looking at sleep apnea. Um, the the uh, sleep does change. You know, the, the amount of of stage one sleep and stage two sleep um, change a little bit. But really, uh, it's not so different that we have to think our diagnoses are wrong. Well, if they get to sleep at all, they're going to be showing you some of what they do. Yes, that's exactly the idea. And if we're comparing them to other people who are also having their first night but are normal sleepers, then we're still seeing a difference from normal sleep. Ah. Now, guess what? We're right up time for a break. I really would like to finish talking about sleep studies just briefly because I, I want to know what kind of reports you get and what you're really looking for. So we'll do that when we come back from the break. We'll be right back. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstadt. We're talking about sleep and sleep disorders. So stay tuned to Voice America World Talk Radio. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you looking for tips, tricks, secrets, and techniques that you can use anywhere, anytime, on virtually any problem? Tune in to Magic at Your Fingertips with EFT virtuoso Teresa Bolin. You are a divine manifestation of love and light. Take back control of your life and create the life that you want using EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. You'll overcome the obstacles that stand in the way of living your heart's desire. Magic at Your Fingertips airs live at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, and 10 p.m. in Japan on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. 
Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Eleanor Schottstead, talking about sleep and sleep disorders. We were talking just before the break about the sleep studies and what they're like. And now I'd like to ask you, Doctor, what kind of reports you get from that sleep study, what you're looking for, and you know what points to a diagnosis of a sleep disorder. Okay. Well, uh, the, during the sleep study, uh, we're getting lines of data going across. It used to be a page of paper, but now it's a computer screen. Those are split up into 30-second segments. We look at every single 30-second segment wow. uh, when we're scoring. Uh, the, we're looking uh, for what happens with the oxygen, what happens with the airflow, what happens with the chest and abdominal wall movement. We're also looking for things like did the legs kick, have the eyes moved, um, and what's the, what kind of brain wave are you having. So, uh, and um, because things fall off during sleep, we usually have two of everything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> okay. That, that, uh, that way, you know, if something falls off, we don't have to wake the patient up. They can just keep sleeping, and we still have one, one side of the brain, for instance, instead of both. So it's a lot of data. And what we're looking for are changes in um, effort, chest wall or abdominal wall movement, changes in oxygenation, changes in airflow, and changes in brain waves. And then uh, to interpret the changes in brain wave, it helps to know what's happening with the muscles, like the chin or the or the leg, because, um, for instance, dream sleep is defined by um, a change in those. And then, uh, and also, eye movement is something that helps us. Uh, again, interpret the brainwave move, uh, brainwaves that we're seeing. So we um, um, are looking at a lot of data. Um, it'll be in a paper record, uh, 900 to 1,600 pages uh, for one study. Um, oh, our, my goodness. Yeah, our, <laughs> they're the 30-second epochs. Um, our sleep techs are superb at going th- at marking off events, um, and so uh, they, they do a – they're – really professionals and then um, it all is kind of counted how many of each thing did they see in terms of the apneas and hypopneas and and the other sleep events and um, and then we make our um, make our report based on the summary numbers of um, um, how much time was spent in dream sleep how much in the other stages of sleep that sort of thing so uh, again uh, it's a um, the sleep study is pretty much centered on breathing unless we ask specifically otherwise. If we ask specifically, the sleep techs can put on the whole brainwave montage that the neurologists look use to look for seizures. Um, and so if we're worried about seizures, we'll use 12 uh, lines of data um, from, the, from the EEG rather than just four. So um, it, uh, the, it's, a, you know, it's a big undertaking. Uh, there's a reason that it's that uh, it's expensive if you're paying out of pocket. Um, And it is a lot more data than we need for some of the time. But some of the time, you have to have every scrap of that data to figure out what's going on. Do you sometimes find 
disorders that you weren't looking for because you see it on the brain wave or you pick it up in the oxygen level. Well, You're- yes, um, yes, we do, and that's um, and that's I think why we do the studies rather than just say, "Oh, you're sleepy here, you must have sleep apnea." Use the CPAP. Um, is that we do get surprised um, and. Uh, uh, the same thing with sleepwalking or sleep talking. You can't just say, oh, this is sleepwalking because it could be a, a form of seizure um, or it could be REM behavior disorder. And oh. although you can have your best guess from the from talking to the patient to really know for sure, you, uh, for some of these, you really do have to see on the sleep study. Um, and uh, so I think um, the, the, and I guess that's the bottom line. We do these because the best the patient can tell us still doesn't give us the certainty we need to give the right uh, give the right treatment on a uniform basis. They probably have no idea. They're asleep. That, yeah, they're asleep. So, <laughs> they're you know, asleep. they're yeah, asleep. Let's be realistic here. And all that's happening is, is sleep when you're asleep is sort of <laughs> yeah. what we think. Yeah, exactly. One, yeah, one of the things you have me doing is, well, it's, I say I'm supposed to be doing it, is to get outside in the sunshine at least half an hour a day. You know, what does that have to do with sleep? Well, um, you're, um, you're, we rely on our circadian rhythm, which is our 24-hour internal rhythm, to give us a good pattern of sleep when we do go to sleep. We also rely on it to keep us awake when we want to be awake. Um, and um, if we... Um, and the, the things that set the circadian rhythm are not anything to do with what you go to bed. It's what time you get up and then some sunlight um, and then you can get a little added effect if you eat breakfast and talk to somebody. So, um, <laughs> And then your brain says, oh, I'm awake and now I need to count 24 hours and at 16 hours or thereabouts I need to put this person to bed. Um, and if you, so with a circadian rhythm, then you can, then your, your brain will organize the sleep into these different sleep stages. You actually go through a very orderly progression of the sleep stages through the night. Um, if your sleep is normal. So the, using the, uh, the vast majority of times, I'm using the, the sunlight to establish a good circadian rhythm, either to help me with um, getting the person to sleep at the time they want or get, keeping them awake until the time they need to stay awake, that sort of thing. So does it matter what time you get yourself outside in the sunshine? Is that important? Well, if I'm using it to make sure I'm getting a good wake-up signal, then it needs to be in the first couple three hours after you wake up because it's a it's a timing signal to the brain this is when the, this is when morning starts um if i'm using it to delay sleep if for the, you know there are a group of people whose bodies just want to go to sleep at eight o'clock and their life demands they stay up until 10 well if i get those out at six in the evening or uh to, for sunlight it's a little bit easier for them to stay up until 10 that and makes so perfect time, sense <laughs> so the timing depends on what i'm trying to do with it Interesting, isn't it? When we were kids, we were told we needed lots of fresh air and sunshine. And And now when we're old and can't sleep, we need fresh air and sunshine. Yep. So we can sleep. I guess our mothers and our teachers were were right. (laughs) It's it's interesting. Can, Can health complications occur in your body just because you don't sleep, because you have a sleep disorder? What else can happen to you because you can't sleep? Well, uh Certainly with sleep apnea, there is a, a higher risk of heart attacks and strokes. It causes uh, high blood pressure. It's actually one of the first of the listed correctable causes of that. 
uh, causes weight gain. It can cause uh, both social and sexual dysfunction. We see a higher incidence of problems with uh, substance abuse and um, problems with jobs, obviously, if you're falling asleep. Um, there's actually, there is sexual dysfunction with it as well, uh, loss of interest and in, in ability to perform. There's... Um, a, is that uh, just because you're just too tired to care? Or? Uh, yeah, and uh, apparently there are changes also in the sex hormones, but uh, that one I don't know enough about to be able to, to give uh, a good picture of. So I'm going to kind of say uh, that's my understanding, and I'm going to leave that to one side right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, but um, and then you know we talk we do talk about early onset um, dementia that that people with sleep apnea seem to be more confused a little quicker. Uh, in older age, um, and then there are problems with controlling diabetes, um, with um, controlling cholesterol, um, because of course your body becomes less sensitive to insulin, um, and therefore you become more diabetic-like, um, uh, or your diabetes is more severe. So there are a lot of health consequences. And that's all separate from the consequences in performance, like uh, can you drive safely to work? Um, and do you make a good decision when you're at work? That sort of thing. Oh, that it sounds ominous, but there are things that we can do about it. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's uh-huh. been the exciting part of the of the sleep field is just, you know, it really is something that not only can I make a diagnosis, but I can make a difference in people's lives. And it's wonderful. And and it truly is wonderful. It It truly is amazing when you can't sleep and then... With just a few changes, you're sleeping all night. It's an amazing change. We're almost at the end of the show, Eleanor. What final bit of advice would you like to leave with our listeners? Um, I think my uh, message uh, is sleep is important. You may not remember what's happening, but your brain finds it very, very important, and so does your body. Um, And so let's not be too casual about skipping it. Um, because uh, you know we don't we don't know uh, all that much about sleep, but we do know that it that it's very important. It's probably more important than any of us ever thought. And I started to say dreamed of. I guess <laughs> that right. would be appropriate. Um, we just have always taken for granted it's a natural thing, and um, there's not much we can do about it if we don't sleep. Thanks to science, we now know more. Next week's guest is Tina Games, who's a creativity and life purpose ch- uh, coach, and she's going to be talking about her book, Journaling in the Moonlight, A Mother's Path to Self-Discovery. Eleanor, I thank you so, so much for being with us today. I think this program is going to benefit many people, um, and you know, tell them how they can reach you if anybody in this area is really looking for somebody who can help them. Well, and I'd be very happy to work with people with with this. And I, um, my phone number is four eight zero nine nine zero seventy two hundred. Give it to them again. Let them crack. Grab a pencil and do it again. Four eight zero nine nine zero seventy two hundred. You'll be listened to, and you'll be helped. And she didn't ask me to say that, but that's just the honest <laughs> truth. It's time for Thank us now. You're so welcome, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Uh This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show saying goodbye for this week. Tune in again next week when we talk to Tina Games. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. 
Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.